What is your relationship to pain? Interesting question, isn't it? In part because it's a question that everyone can answer. Basically, because we've all got a relationship to pain in the same way that we've all got a relationship to ourselves or our environments or our understanding of our own purpose. Hello, lovely people. It's Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, an exploration of the simple, complex, and everyday ways that yoga shows up in our minds and our bodies and world. And life has been something of a pain lately. (laughs) I've been moving house, as some of you may know, and experiencing the many different levels of pain that so often come with this kind of endeavor, this kind of thing. You know, my body hurts, my mind hurts. And even my emotions are a little bit raw. And so the conversation with today's guest, uh, which was we only had not very long ago, was something of a salve for my post-house move spirit for so many reasons. So I first heard of Marlisa Sullivan years ago, possibly on Jay Brown's podcast or maybe even before that in a yoga therapy context. But I remember being really intrigued about her approach to yoga therapy and her focus on the concept of eudaimonia, right? It's a word that is used to describe the condition of living well, living happily, living with a sense of contentment. And I at the time, you know, when I first heard this, I recognized that this was a key aspect of the work and the focus of yoga therapists. But I'd never really heard any yoga therapists express it in that way. I'd never really heard any yoga therapists say that out loud. And so I put her name down on the list of folks that I'd really love to chat with. And I've followed her work since then. And so, of course, I was absolutely delighted when Marlisa agreed to chat with Lucy and I about her latest project which is called the Empowered Veterans Program at the Veterans Administration in the United States, which focuses on veterans suffering from chronic pain. And we talk a lot about the program itself, really interesting program, the different aspects of it and its approach and Marlisa's approach to pain. And, you know, it was an enlightening conversation and... (laughs) Just based on the subject alone, it was one that really could have gone on all day for all the questions that and the inquiries that Lucy and I had about this subject. But we really enjoyed and we really appreciated Marlisa's point of view and her insights. And, you know, we were inspired by this incredible project and the work that she's doing in the world. So for any of you who don't know Marlisa or who haven't heard of Marlisa, let me tell you a little bit about her. She's a physical therapist and a yoga therapist, an educator, an author, and she's working, as I mentioned, in the field of pain care and management. She's the author of two books, Yoga and Science in Pain Care, and the one that I mentioned on the podcast, Understanding Yoga Therapy, which is an absolutely fabulous book and one that I highly recommend that all yoga therapists read, and we've got the details for that in the show notes. And, you know, what I loved most about Marlisa and this conversation is that she she knows how she has a wonderful way of talking about difficult subjects in such an accessible, compassionate and considered way. 
And as I mentioned, you know, Lucy and I had so many questions and thoughts as we came into this conversation, even many of which we really did not have time to get to. And so be sure to listen all the way to the end of the podcast for what our thoughts and our comments about what we learned from this chat and what we really wished we'd asked Marlisa. So before you do that, please enjoy this conversation that Lucy and I had with the wonderful Marlisa Sullivan. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Shara Carruthers here, and I am delighted to be joined today by my co-host, Lucy Carnani, and our guest, Marlisa Sullivan. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Great. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so, Marlisa, I feel in some ways like this conversation has been a long time in coming. We had thought about doing this a while ago, um, and I'm really glad that we've uh, that we've managed to make this happen. And you know what? I actually kind of want to kick because I told you that I had a funny story for you. <laughs> so oh yeah, I actually thought I wanted to kick off with the story. So um, so we have a a mutual friend um, whose name is um, Sipora. And if Sipora is listening to this, then <laughs> shout out you to Sipora. Uh, so Sipora is a student of mine, and she had joined me for a, a course that I teach um, of Ayurveda um, for yoga teachers. And one of the one day I walked into I walked in. It was a Zoom class. One day I, I showed up for class and I said to her, I and I brought your book up and I said to her, <laughs> I said, Sipora, have you read this book? This book, this is Understanding Yoga Therapy. For anybody, this is a no one can see me, but I'm holding up Marlisa's book, Understanding Yoga Therapy. And I've said, Sipora, Sipora, have you read this book? This book is incredible. I really enjoy, I really like this book. And Sipora kind of looked at me a little bit sheepishly and she said, um. Yeah, the photos in the back, that's me. <laughs> so Sipora <laughs> has wanted, there, it, inside the book at the very back, there's a bunch of photographs of different, or a, a, a student, actually it's not quite the back, but it's sort of the middle, yeah. um, in doing yoga poses. And I went, I, I was like, what? And I, <laughs> I went to the back of the book and had a look. And uh, I was like, oh my goodness, that is you. <laughs> so yes, she has read the book. <laughs> And in fact, I hope she's right. No, yeah, she's it. been a really, she's been a really good friend of mine for years. And um, yeah. just as such a supportive, wonderful, like, person in the world. So I was really happy that she agreed to do that. Oh, it was so funny. And yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was quite, <laughs> it yeah. was quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting exchange. But um, I guess, you know, in many ways, it's sort of an illustration of, of just how I, how I, how I feel about your approach to yoga therapy. And I thought we might just kick off by, I just wanted to find out or talk to you a little bit about your influences, your yoga therapy influences, because I feel in some ways like you've got this kind of kind of unique, at least it feels a little unique to me, um, approach to yoga therapy. And so, yeah, I wanted to hear a bit about that. Yeah, well, I would say like my very first uh, influence for yoga therapy was, um, I, I can't remember the year, it was like 2000, like it, it, it was before I was a yoga teacher even. So it was somewhere around 2002, 2003, I was going through a tough time in my life. 
and mm-hmm. I was looking for a therapist. And uh, for whatever reason, I was I really liked yoga. I hadn't done much yoga yet. And uh, I mean, I'd done it kind of at home with yoga books because I like couldn't afford to go to classes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I had done it at home. And um, so when I looked up therapists, I wanted to find someone that also did yoga. And um, so I ended up finding this yoga therapist naming or she's a therapist who integrated yoga. And her name uh, is Julie Wilcox. And so I, um, in my therapy with her, we did very much what now is my approach to yoga therapy, which is that very like meditative, introspective body inquiry. And from that body inquiry, letting movement or, um, you know, meditations or imagery or breath work emerge. So I, um, I did therapy with her for years and she even ended up, uh, doing, you know, officiating my wedding that I had years later. Um, And then, so she's like my main influence. And when I started teaching at Maryland University of Integrative Health, I actually like said, I would like to do a formal training with you where I just like, Mm -hmm. you know, went to her house and we trained in a, a certain way of doing that inquiry. And she had, she had lived at Kripalu for a while. She had been a, um, disciple at Kripalu when it was an ashram. She had Mm -hmm. also studied Phoenix Rising yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and so after working with her, like even in, you know, the early 2000s, I then did a 200 hour training. And then I went to Kripalu and I studied with some, a lot, uh, most of my influences have been Kripalu teachers. Um, And I got involved in, I did my 500 hour training and I got involved in um, IAYT, the International Association for Yoga Therapists. And that's Mm -hmm. where I met Matt Taylor, who's kind of like, you know, the the biggest um, mentor of most physical therapists who do yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I had uh, met him and I got to go visit where he lived in Arizona at the time. And we had this big consortium of PTs who were integrating yoga. And so I just, I met a lot of people who were doing the work and um, I was able to be part of the educational standards. And so it just gradually um, from there. But so my biggest influences have mostly come from the Kripalu style. Um, And I'll think about if I'm missing anyone in that. I find that really interesting because I knew that you came from a PT background Mm -hmm. and, you know, these days it it feels like with yoga therapy, and I don't know if this is kind of your, your experience as well, Lucy. um, It feels like there's uh, there, the way that it's kind of, it's kind of held is, well, there's a couple of different ways that it's held, but it seems like there's, you, I feel like, especially as a teacher of Ayurveda, there's less of a focus on sort of the classical yogic philosophy and more of a focus on kind of yoga as a tool for fixing the body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know, part of the reason. Yeah, go ahead, Lucy. Oh, yeah. so I was going to say, I think it's a, there's sort of either the coming through the, the lens of the yoga philosophy and, and practices and tools or, and, and seeing the whole person. Obviously, that's uh, the most important thing, in my opinion, too, or coming more through the medical um, lens, the medical lens, medical model. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So you're a bit unusual, yeah. Melissa, because you're a physical therapist and yet, and a lot of people I know who are physical therapists who come to yoga therapy come through the medical lens, medical yeah. model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, like when I, um, 
when I started college, I actually started in medical anthropology. And I was really interested in like the intersection of religion, spirituality, and health and healing. And when I became a, I became a physical therapist before a yoga teacher. And mm -hmm. um, that was because I had met this amazing physical therapist. She was um, in Atlanta and she could just like heal people with her hands. And I mm -hmm. went and watched her work and it was so inspiring. Um, and so I became a physical therapist, but you know, as I worked with people, what I was really struck by and interested in was how apparent their emotions, their mood, their connection to themselves, their connection to the world, like how important that was. And so really my interest in yoga wasn't physical because I, I had physical therapy training. And so my interest in yoga was really the philosophical and the spiritual and to see how I could begin to bring that in. And really that's with Julie, what my interest in yoga has always been is that noticing how the emotions, past beliefs, spirituality is really affecting the physical body and the experience of the of, of us in the world. And as a clinician wanting to find out how could I incorporate these philosophical ideas, emotional, psychological ideas in a way that was in the scope of practice of a body-based practitioner. Mm. Wow. And have you, I find um, these days, at least I'm sort of seeing, I'm seeing this kind of interesting dance between the, the science and the philosophy. And I know for you that you've done some work with Stephen Porges and around polyvagal theory and polyvagal theory just, you know, it seems to be, um, you know, it seems to be everywhere these days. There's a lot of interest in it. And I wonder, especially because you you um, you were part of a group of folks who wrote a paper that was that was kind of looking into um, some connections between some aspects of yoga philosophy and polyvagal theory. And I wonder, does yoga have something to offer polyvagal theory and vice versa in your mind? Yeah, um, I have to think about that question because I was going okay. a couple places in my mind as we were talking. Um, and first of all, I just like always like to say like Stephen Porges is one of the most amazing people I've ever met, like just He's someone who amazing. really like lives his philosophy. It's just amazing mm. to see. Um, mm. And I do think um, I think yoga philosophy has something to offer science. And I think science mm. has something to offer the way that we're practicing yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. um, in gen as a general way, but then to get more specific, does yoga have something to offer polyvagal theory? Um, so, uh, and we'll see if this makes sense. Okay, um, <laughs> go it. Okay. Uh, so, um, in in polyvagal theory, right? There's like these three neural platforms, and the mm -hmm. autonomic nervous system is underlying. Like these th these three basic autonomic nervous system states are underlying a behavior, a physiology, and a psychological state processes. Mm -hmm. Whereas in yoga philosophy, it, it's much bigger than that, right? Like the, like the gunas are much bigger than neural platforms because they're mm -hmm. like these, these qualities that are much more expansive about how we're, uh, uh, let me say that different. There are these qualities that are really underlying the emergence of everything that we are. Um, yeah. And so the, uh, the polyvagal theory is more limited and it's a really great language to speak to healthcare professional to talk about it in research to kind of fine tune what we're doing. Um, but with that awareness that 
when we're talking about things like the gunas or if you're going to bring, I don't know a lot about Ayurveda, um, mm. but if you're going to bring like the, the um, doshas into it, that it's you're talking about something that is much bigger about who we are and that emergence of our behavior, our, our um, psychology, our physiology in reaction and in connection to the environment. I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. It does actually make sense, you know, because I, I sometimes see when some of the things that I see um, people doing in the areas of trauma and also just in, you know, um, neuroscience, etc. I see all of these links and these hooks into yogic philosophy. And I kind of wonder, could can, is yoga is, is yoga potentially a map for some of these things? And then in diving into some of these things, can we also be able can we look at our yoga slightly different? you know, from what we can understand. That's kind of where I was coming from with that. I think you did a good job. (laughs) You did a good job of uh, of answering. Yeah, I think it's really interesting in that, like, I think, like, yoga is so expansive, right? And there's so much depth and richness. Mm. And I think, like, the things like polyvagal theory provide these little windows of structure that allow us to, like, our minds to, like, organize it and situate it and put it into Mm. models, which allows me to help when I'm sitting in front of a client or, you know, working with some kind of paper or idea, Mm. but then we can get stuck in that rigidity and then we're no longer seeing the person in front of us or the situation in front of us. And so like always going back to the yoga philosophy to see the bigger picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's sort of, it's sort of like um, not just seeing the, client through the medical model um, but also not just seeing what you how you're working with them through the scientific model it's about zooming back and incorporating it and very important yeah but I would imagine it depends on the client that you're working with because Mm. for some people that might be the entry point to to approach whatever their situation with through that lens do you find Mm. that the scientific lens yeah 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 and I think you know even in in pain like it's been really helpful to use science and especially the nervous system as a way mm-hmm. of like healthily disconnecting from the symptoms, you know, where you're like, mm-hmm. um, it, that you're able to get a little distance and say, this is how my nervous system is reacting. This is how my body is re- reacting. I'm not my nervous system or my body. And like mm-hmm. the science of the nervous system gives them that language to um, disconnect in a positive way so that they can make change. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Actually- yeah, we're interested. Do you have a, a, um, a pithy definition of pain? What is pain? I, I mean, the International Association of the Study of Pain has a, has a definition. And um, I guess, you know, I wouldn't try to, like, they, theirs is something about how it's the collection of, like, your um, sensory information, your memories, your emotions, your beliefs, um, in relation to like the context of your environment. Um, hmm. They say it much better. Yeah, very, it, but it is, uh, yeah, it's, it is very complex. It's a, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, do you know if I mean, the we, texts say? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, do you know if any of the yogic texts talk about pain as separate from suffering? So there's obviously a lot written around suffering, but specific to pain. 
I know there's definitely some Buddhist texts that I'm not as familiar with. Um, mm. In the Sankhya Karika, it does talk about like there's three kinds of suffering that are, you know, mm. physical, environmental, but I don't know that it's differentiating pain from suffering. It's telling you how to come out of suffering, though. Mm. I'm wondering, you know, I, I know that we, you know, we jumped in into this pain conversation trying talking about um, a technical definition of pain, but I, you've had quite a bit, quite a bit of experience now with pain in terms of, you know, studying it and supporting folks. And what, what are your beliefs about around what pain actually is? So, you know, one thing when you were talking about it, like the one thing that came to mind about that IASP definition is like the sensory and mm -hmm. emotional experience. And, mm -hmm. um, so my beliefs around pain are that, um, well, first that there is that difference between acute and chronic pain, mm -hmm. but that, you know, pain, especially in chronic pain, um, well, let me say it two ways that, mm. um, I, you know, I didn't come prepared with my definition of pain. That's okay. Um, but it is, you know, like the, um, it's the, it, it has to do with the way that you are interpreting sensory and emotional experience, which is also based on your beliefs, your emotions, past experiences, memory, transgenerational, like how you're set up. So, you know, that, um, that, and at the same time, there's a little balance because I think sometimes in the pain science world, uh, there can be people can go so far in that direction, but there's also there is actually, you know, also some structural things to be concerned about that there might be a limit to the range of motion you should go or the positions you should put yourself in. And so, you know, finding that balance between when is pain an accurate alarm, which is more of what people consider acute pain. Mm -hmm. And when is uh, pain at the uh, like what happens in chronic pain where the nervous system gets sensitized. Um, and so then you be there becomes this inaccurate um, interpretation and way that you're relating to whatever's coming in from outside of you or inside of you. Um, so being able to both have this awareness that pain is something that you can change and that you can definitely change your reaction to it. And, um, and at the same time, that awareness will lead you to what you should and shouldn't do, like what is good for you, what is not good for you. Hmm. And I, yeah. I really feel like I need to sit with that answer for my own self. Yeah. I, hmm. I um, do experience a lot of chronic pain and also for various conditions, acute pain and um, it's very interesting to hear that uh, that answer that it, what just like triggered me a little bit when you said that acute pain is more accurate than chronic pain because my chronic pain feels, you know, because it, it's influenced by so many things, my long history with chronic pain and so forth. It's um, Well, and I, yeah. And I appreciate that, what you're saying, because it's like, I think sometimes the way that we use language is really important. And so a lot mm -hmm. of times the differentiation between acute and chronic pain is talked about in terms of this accuracy. And mm -hmm. that word accurate, I think, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, could be very triggering mm -hmm. because it's not so much that the chronic pain isn't accurate. It's that in chronic pain, 
the one of the things that happens in the nervous system is that it gets sensitized. So the, the description I often use for that is like, you know, when you first put on your shirt in the morning, that information has to pass a threshold for you to feel it. And so the nerves take that information to your brain, but then you don't feel it again until like something happens and the shirt moves enough. But in chronic pain, you feel the shirt all the time because your nerves are taking much more information in. So like the lights are actually brighter, the sounds are actually louder, the smells are actually stronger. So in sensitization, it's not that it's uh, maybe accurate is something, a word to really look at how we're using that. It's not that it's not accurate, but it's that your nervous system usually would block input that's not necessary. But in chronic pain, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. But so, so one of the models that's used a lot in chronic pain is this idea of beginning to understand danger signals and safety signals. So that your brain is taking, is getting so much information in in chronic pain that there's this constant danger, 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 which creates this output of pain. So then how can we notice that danger and then uh, help our brain see that things are safe? Like, no, my Mm -hmm. shirt's not hurting me. It's just still Mm -hmm. on the way that it's been on, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that... um, you know, so how, how do we help reteach the brain, recalibrate the nervous system um, that's different in chronic pain than what's needed in acute pain? This is really interesting to me. There were a lot of things that were going through my head that I was thinking about asking before you dived into that. But what uh, what's coming to me from hearing that is that um, this it's what I hear is discernment and this this ability and this process of discerning, um, whether it's discerning, you know, a craving from a real need or whether it's discerning, you know, um, some danger in the body from something else that feels like as human beings, the skill that we really are looking to build. Like I'm talking about this all the time with people. They're like, well, how do I know what's good for me? And I'm like, well, feel into it. Well, how do I, what does that feel like? Well, you know, so I want, I'd I'd love some insights from you about that. You you know, how do you, begin that process of teaching folks to discern between what's, you know, between the different types of pain that they feel and what that's actually saying about what's happening for them. Yeah. And I think, you know, like what you're saying, like you can really see how yoga is like so key to working with pain because it's so much about discernment. And it just made me, one of the things that made me think about, I'm going to backtrack just a second and go into that is one of the examples I think that's been really helpful in the work at the uh, VA that I'm doing is the awareness of phantom limb pain. So in mm-hmm. phantom limb pain, you feel pain, the limb's not there. But mm-hmm. in one, the, one of the things that is helpful is mirror therapy because the brain is seeing the leg that's missing is there. And so in phantom limb pain, the pain is very real. There's stress hormone levels, there's inflammation, there's heart rate, there's blood pressure, like all the physiological signs of pain are there. So the pain is very real and it's having very real effect on the body. And it's based on this misinterpretation that because the brain isn't getting input, it, it, it sets off that danger signal. Like it doesn't know what's happening there. And by looking at the mirror, the brain can then say, oh, things are safe. Things are okay. I can like calm down the nervous system, calm down the inflammation, calm down all those things. So I think that example is a really nice one to get away from uh, that word of accuracy. Like Mm. it's not so, you know, it's not so much that you're saying because it is super invalidating to hear the word that like you're being, it is right. It's like really invalidating. 
And so how do we, how do we talk about, and I think that's a delicate balance of like, how do you talk about this question about chronic pain without invalidating the person without like, um, they're like, without negating their very real experience of pain. Right. And so I think that the phantom limb thing is a good example of that. But then to get to your question with discernment, um, so one of the things that we're doing right now with the, uh, like right now the program I'm teaching is at the VA, it's a 10 week course for veterans with high impact chronic pain. And um, so in the program, what we're trying to do first is really situate the person in safety. Like you can't really, Malisa, yeah. Malisa, can you give an example of what high impact chronic yeah. pain is? I was wondering oh, um, about that too. Yeah. I think there is a technical definition, but just my <laughs> definition is <laughs> it's, it's um, chronic pain that uh, impacts the person from living their life, like from either working, enjoying um, recreational activities and um, having a quality of life. Okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you like, I th- and this is one of the things from the model of polyvagal theory and gunas and like the Bhagavad Gita talks about like you, you have to cultivate sattva first. So like if, you know, in a state of high pain, the idea of working with discerning what's safe and what's not safe is not, not there. So yeah. really helping the person to find like, well, what is safe? How do I downregulate? How do I come into this experience of safety within my body, mind, spirit environments? Um, And then once there is some knowledge of that safety, which could take a day or it could take two years, um, Mm. then then you can begin the process of discernment because then you can begin like, well, let's do this movement. Let's try this thing. Does this take you away from that safety? And even if it does, can you come back? So can you like go into it? Can you come back out of it? Um, and that could be either just with feeling sensations of pain and no pain or like coming into movement that might create a little pain, but beginning to show the person their ability to have that resilience. But to, to have that resilience, you first have to have that like acknowledgement of I know what something that is safe or calm or easeful. I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Cause yeah, I, you know, just kind of paralleling it to um, the Ayurvedic model that I talk about. It is about understanding what does balance feel like? What does, you know, and I love that you talk about this idea of cultivating sattva first. I think that puts a lot of things into context for people, because if we are in an, in an experience of um, stress or trauma or, um, heightened, you know, whatever it may be, um, nervous system activity. It's really difficult to, to do anything, you know, yeah. other than just kind of let your system run you, you know? And so, yeah, getting to that can put a lot of the things that we talk about in yoga um, and in Ayurveda in context. Yeah. And you don't have to have like a perfect sense of it, but even being able to just access like, you know, in my like right knee, I can feel a sense of calm. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, I have this memory of being in the mountains and feeling part of the world. Um, or, you know, I, I, um, have this connection to my religion and that gives me a sense of grace so that, you you know, you can find just a little piece that the person can always come back to. So they can feel that they can feel their pain. They can feel both. They can work Mm -hmm. into pain and come out of it. 
Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the, um, um, in Iris, and I can't think of it. What is, like, what's the, it's your inner resource. <laughs> inner there resource. it is, yes. your inner resource. Yes. Um, and just how useful that is to have in life, isn't it? Really, in all yeah. aspects of your life. So yeah. what, what are you finding um, are the biggest challenges of working with um, I, both folks who are, you know, who are dealing with pain? And then also, I imagine that you're working with a team of medical folks as well, or that's a part of those, those folks are part of your team um, of working with, with them as well, coming from this point of view that you're coming from. Um, I think the challenge in working with people in, with chronic pain is mm-hmm. one that like sensitivity, and I really appreciate that, Lucy, what you said, because I think it really highlights the biggest issue with this whole pain neuroscience thing that PTs are doing, that mm-hmm. um, it's just such a fine line. So what is, we, we don't want to invalidate the person's experience. They're experiencing pain. Not only is it real in their head, but it's real in their body. They're having inflammation. They're having swelling. They're ha- what all those signs, right? So like, how do you talk about um, pain in a way that, and even the ability for, for pain to change and your experience of pain to change, um, while really respecting and having the person to, and to do that in a not very non-condescending way. Mm. Um, because, um, so I think that's a challenge. Um, I think, uh, the challenge in, um, helping people to, you know, just feel that balance that, that, you know, that their pain is real. They have these structural pieces to their pain. They have these other pieces to their pain and, you know, beginning to work with that. Um, so I would say that's probably the biggest struggle is wanting to make sure that the person feels heard and seen and understood and that you're really taking the time for it. Like someone I was working with recently um, talked about how her, their body was lagging behind their mind, you know, like their mind mm-hmm. got it, but like mm-hmm. my body is not there. And just that frustration of your body still getting really activated and like how much time and patience is needed to really let the body do what it needs to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's probably the biggest challenge. And also, you know, it can be really fun to work with people in that process. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, fun as in like a rich experience, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think with working with others, like, like you said, so my program, we have a chaplain, a psychotherapist and physical therapist, um, as well as an MD coordinator. And so the veterans are actually going to a, a, an hour with the chaplain, an hour with a psychotherapist, and then an hour with me. Um, and we have all these, you know, meetings during the week to discuss. And um, I don't know, it's really, I think, I don't know if there's a challenge, but just to say that I think the team is really important, you know, mm-hmm. that like, um, I don't know, I don't, I, I think the team is really integral to the experience of the person to be able to open to working with their pain. As a, as a, um, as both me personally, but also working with clients as well, mm-hmm. it's, it's, everybody is in a different place, obviously. I mean, I'm sort of stating the, the obvious and, and knowing where to, what the entry point is that will um, allow them to not, to feel listened and, and, and listened to and seen 
and not condescended to in any way whatsoever is just the biggest challenge, isn't it? Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> um, and and I, I love that idea of there sort of being multiple people coming in. I, I, I guess to Shara's question, though, is the chaplain and the um, the medical psychotherapist, yeah. psychotherapist, are they open to what you're saying? Are they, yeah, are, are they yeah. completely on board? So you're educating them so that you're coming from a, you know, a single message? Is that? Yeah, like the program is, is comprehensive. So it's with us all. So we're all in the same page. Um, so I think that would be the difficulty, I guess, if you're not in that team <laughs> or mm. people aren't coming from that same page, um, that would be a challenge. Well, so, but that's that program that you're running. I mean, the average person isn't attending a 10 week program, you know, that is run by three people, you yeah. know, as a, as a yoga therapist, you might be kind of an outlier from what they've been used to, you know, in their, in their life, you know, what access, what support they've had. You know, whether it's through the public health system or they've had access to private professionals. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the language of science can come in handy because as mm -hmm. a yoga therapist, you could tell a psychotherapist or a physical therapist, you know, we're working with the, um, you know, autonomic nervous system and regulation and resilience and mood regulation. Um, and they'll understand that. Um, they mm -hmm. might not understand everything you're doing, but it's like, it's even, I mean, what I often tell students in yoga therapy, it's not any different than being a PT and saying, you know, I'm working on, like when I was a manual physical therapist, like we're working on L3 torsion on L5, or I guess it'd be L4, <laughs> unless it skips over to <laughs> Um, But, you know, whatever like dysfunction that we're seeing from a manual therapy standpoint, like the the, you know, the, the people that were writing the medical notes for might not care about all that specificity, but they do care about like the range of motion and the strength and the bigger picture. So the same as a yoga therapist, like we could have our language of rajas or the pranavayus or looking at it ayurvedically. And it's really important for us to keep that because that's our, that's our lens that we're working with the person through. And when I go talk to the physical therapist, like they're not going to know what I mean by gunas, it's going to be weird. So yeah. talking in the language of the nervous system is going to be something that they're going to understand and see how what you're doing fits into what they're doing. So I think the challenge for yoga therapists is just finding like, what is that language where like, you know, don't tell a physical therapist that you're going to be doing what they're doing because that they're not going to take that kindly to that but mm. talk about what you're doing that's complementary and different mm. maybe the same could be for a chaplain too perhaps yeah because <laughs> <laughs> there's overlap right yeah yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. just you know like pts overlap with chiropractors and now with mm. acupuncturists sometimes with dry needling and it's always those gray areas that there's all these arguments and you know, turf wars. And so, you know, if we can just find, we're going to have that overlap with psychotherapists, chaplains, and with physical therapists. And what I'm seeing here, just from what you're describing, you know, this team kind of model, uh, if like the questions that always come to me are, uh, okay, so then how do they transplant this, you know, this experience they're having within maybe the group or the hospital or the whatever into their lives? And I'm yeah. seeing different aspects, you know, when I see the team, I think, well, you, that's your, you know, that's your sangha. And I think, you know, all of these different, um, these different skills that come in and points of view, you know, you talked about the chaplain and the phys physical therapist, all these different things, those are all kind of addressing different aspects of the human being. And I think, so then 
once someone once someone leaves the program, how how are we? We have now decided it's me. How are we, how, what's the support there for their lives? Because I, 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 this is an important question to me because I see a lot of these fantastic and beautiful interventions. And I think, and there's transformation in that. And then people go back home and they're, you know, and the program's over and then they're kind of, you know, so I wonder from your point of view, like, you know, is that something that you think is important? Is that something that you are? Yeah, yeah. And and in the program that we're in, we talk a lot about next steps, like after, Mm -hmm. like, you know, in the, in the last weeks, we talk about, Mm -hmm. like, what are your next steps going to be? And, and um, so there's the opportunity to talk about, like, so one of the biggest uh, themes in the program is working with your values. So letting mm-hmm. and, and understanding what your values are, what's meaningful to you, and then being able to set goals around that and actionable steps and committed action, like because they use acceptance commitment therapy. And mm-hmm. um, so there is this like gradual work towards how are you going, how does, how is this work helping you to connect to what's truly important to you? And then what are the steps you need to do that? And in, in mindful movement, that can include like what movement supports you in doing what you want to do, what adaptations of movements. Um, and then from the movement we practice, if there are certain things that are resonating with you, what are community classes that you could go to? Because, you know, with exercise, um, there's never an end to when you need it. <laughs> you always need it. So, so you know, finding community classes that um, are, are um, going to be supportive of that from an exercise standpoint, um, but then also finding those um, practices that are supportive of you living in alignment with your values. Mm-hmm. So they're left with, they have meditations, they have um, movements, as well as just kind of that idea of working with values and goals. Mm. So the people who are in a, a program such as this have had um, possibly little exposure to yoga beforehand. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. not very much. Mm. Uh, maybe a couple of mm. them have, but usually not. So we, we're, we're doing really um, small movements, like, you mm. know, diaphragmatic breathing, um, mm. really, really like more somatic movement to see if you can move your arms and your legs without over tensing other places. Um, and then doing some chair yoga stretches, some Tai Chi movements as well. Um, so they're getting an introduction to those different things. So we do some sitting yoga as well as something standing with the chair. Um, and then if the group is open to it, some things lying down, if they're able to get back up. Mm, yeah. With the yeah, invitation to it. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. So I think, Melissa, um, Shara's question is so incredibly important when we're talking about chronic pain because it's just, it's, it's long-term. It's chronic. Yeah. It's chronic, yeah. you know. And, you know, I've been uh, practicing yoga since the late 90s and and I've had various challenges through pretty much that whole time. And how I've been able to work with it, for me anyway, has been informed a lot by where I am on my yogic journey in terms of my own personal exploration of all aspects of yoga, The you know, the philosophy, the psychology, the various, um, you know, tools like, asana and pranayama and meditation and so forth and um and so the i guess you do talk to them right at the beginning and saying this is an intro and there's 
you know, this can support you for the rest of your life for that, that find the right teachers, the right mentors and, and so forth. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a challenge is helping mm. people find the right places in the community because, you know, the problem with yoga is that they, you know, what happens if they walk into a, a, a studio uh, yeah. that's doing something else. I didn't yeah, want to say anything. Yeah, okay. so I was like, I don't know. But like, you know, um, yep. you know, how, how do you help support help, you know, so I think um, anything that associations like the IAYT or Yoga Australia, isn't it Yoga Australia? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like those kinds of organizations where they can um, maybe create a list of providers so that, um, you know, a group of people that are well-trained in adapting, you know, or like, you know, Jivana and accessible yoga that you have, mm-hmm. like, you have <laughs> places that you could go to find referrals to well-trained yoga therapists. And IRES mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah. yeah. And IRES, yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah. 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 You know, the, the other question, and I guess we, we probably should start to wrap it up a little bit, but the, the, one of the things for me is that yoga is very much about. Oh, can I? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go, I yeah, go ahead. I do feel bad because you know you asked me to list my mentors, and Richard Miller has certainly been a oh. huge mentor for and a huge influence <laughs> on my teaching too. I was like, I know I'm leaving someone out. So if I had had no, that I'm, question before, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Richard is one of Lucy's mentors too. Lucy, tell her the story. Tell the story. Tell me your story. Well, no, tell her the story. <laughs> well, very briefly, I was attending a in-person seven-day retreat, silent retreat with Richard here in Australia. And somebody, of course, it's silent except for, you know, we can ask questions. And somebody in one of the sessions, um, the question came up about finding a mentor. And that person said to Richard, would you be my mentor? And he said, if I'm the right person, you know, let's have a conversation. So he didn't say no. So, yeah. and at that time I was in a place where I was seeking a, a new mentor, a new direction. And I'm just enamored with the IRS has really supported me for the yeah. last 10 years. And, yeah. um, and so I approached him afterwards at one-on-one and I said, would you be my mentor? And he said, sure, just send me an email and we'll set up a time. And so he has been for the last few years. And um, that's so interesting, you know, how yeah. he knows who to like, who's the right fit, yes you know? To. Yes, yeah, that's but she, she was yeah. reading the forward to your book. Oh, that, was, that, that story. story. Yes. I was thinking, yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. When I was reading, reading your book, the forward, for some reason, I thought you'd written it. And, uh-huh. and so I'm reading the forward and I'm like, actually, I can show you, I highlighted like every second sentence <laughs> is, is, you know, highlighted in purple. I'm going, yes, amazing. yes, yes. And then I, and then I realized Richard's written it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, right. So to Richard just, Miller, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think he's been, yeah, definitely given kudos here. Um, the, so the, the thing for me is that yoga is very much about empowerment. And in my mind, and I think about, um, I, I, I think about when I was t- studying yoga therapy, one of my teachers, Makunda Stiles, uh, talked about, um, he talked to us all about a little bit about pain. Obviously he was talking about structural um, yoga therapy. And he said, look, you know, if, if folks are dealing with back pain, um, you know, there are things you can do, but why don't you ask them how their, how their marriage is going? You know, and I think, you know, part of the reason why I ask about this is because I, I wonder about educating people about 
their lives and about these uh, and about how they're whole and how there are many other aspects of their lives other than what's happening in their physical bodies. And we've talked about that a little bit, but many other aspects of their lives where they may that may be having an impact on their experience of pain. And I wonder your thoughts about educating folks around that, because in my mind, I feel like that's a direct connection to giving somebody a little bit of power when they can see this is what my experience is. And um, maybe if I clean this up over here or deal with this, I can, it can have a positive impact on my physical situation right now. Yeah. I, um, I, I, two things. One is I feel incredibly lucky with the, where I'm working right now and just, um, and like, I guess lucky might not, but it's lucky and just really grateful, um, because these, the, the veterans I work with spend an hour with like this whole health coaching, developing Mm -hmm. this awareness of mindfulness and different things that impact their pain, like nutrition and sleep Mm -hmm. and relationships. They talk about relationships, forgiveness. Then they spend an hour with acceptance commitment therapy, looking at their, their emotions and how their emotions play a part. And then I get to lead the body part. I'm like, okay, Mm. you did all this cognitive stuff. Now we're going to like, see what that's like in the body. And we're going to explore that in the body more. Um, so I went, before I worked at the VA, I I did that privately and, um, you know, that worked fine as well for the people that I was seeing on a private practice basis. Um, and you know, for people that, cause I worked with people that had chronic low back pain, um, anxiety, depression, all those, you know, those kinds of diagnoses or conditions. And, um, you know, we often like, you know, in the intake talked about what are the current stressors in your life? What uh, emotions are you struggling with or working with or that are coming up for you? Um, What is your sleep like? What Mm. is your energy level like? Um, And then I could use that to, you know, first of all, doing an intake like that brings insights. And then the more you bring that up as like, how do you how do you notice that in your body? Like, so, you know, developing that first body awareness of do you even feel your body in space? And then now that you know you have a body, um, can you mm-hmm. feel um, when you're uh, uh, at, at the VA, we have this list of um, uh, danger and safety signals. Like you roll your ankle and you're, it gets swollen. Do you feel that increase your stress response or decrease your stress response? Um, you know, your best friend calls you and really listens to you. Does that increase your stress response or decrease it? So, you know, mm-hmm. finding different ways for people to notice how, their emotions, their sleep. Uh, We talk about in the VA about how um, there's different movements that energize you or calm you and Mm -hmm. um, that it's unique to you. So find out what those are so that you can explore what helps you to sleep, what helps you to wake up. Um, And it, it is, like you said, I think empowerment is the program at the VA called the Empower Veterans Program, but the, yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah. it, but that empowerment piece is is I've been reading some articles for something about fear of movement and mm. that you know it is that self-efficacy and that confidence and that empowerment that is really going to help someone to move through fear to move through anxiety to notice what how that shows up. Um, and and I think as yoga therapists that that's what we're we're uniquely like situated to tie all this together mm-hmm. in a body based practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just body based, but like yeah. we have the philosophy behind it. We have all these other things, but we can bring that somatic piece to integrate it into the lived experience of the person. 
Beautiful. And then the the, um, the more often they come back and revisit that, the more embedded it is and they can, exactly. in itself could become an inner resource, you know. The yeah. Of, yeah. It's just yeah. giving them the mm. tools. It's ha- showing them that these are tools, that they have these tools. Mm. Um, yeah, and like talking about how this is part of muscle, you know, kind of like muscle memory, but it's even like yeah. nervous system memory and we're just creating yeah. this new habit of how to how to be. This program sounds amazing. Is this a is this a um, like a piloty thing, or is this happening all over the U.S. Oh, or all over the world? Um, they've been well. It'd be cool if it was all over the world. Let's bring yeah. it to Australia. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'll come down. Um, so um, it's actually been at the Atlanta VA since like 2013 ish, mm-hmm. and because of COVID, it went remote, of course. And so now they're, um, they're it's in multi it's a multi site program, and it's part of a national program. So there, it's growing nationally within the VA um, to uh, for um, for people, but it's all yeah. remotely delivered now. Right, that's great. That means more yeah. people can have access to it at least. Yeah. yeah. How do you find that uh, doing the somatic aspect of it remotely? Has that? Um, I, th- I I I think it's great. I don't. Yeah, I, I feel like it's really. Um, I have been surprised at how easy it is to connect to people remotely and to, mm-hmm. you know, um, to um, bring people into an inner experience. Mm. Yeah, that's been my, yeah. my experience too. Yeah. Same. Yeah. 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 I've been surprised and delighted. Yeah, especially it's so being weird, over here. Right? Yeah, how yeah. you can just feel the connection happening. It's just really cool. Yeah. 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 So, Marlisa, what's next for you? Yeah. Um, well, right now I'm, I'm just, you know, be, uh, uh, I started working at the VA in July or August. So I'm just getting like in the uh, ropes of being there and doing this work and helping it mm-hmm. to grow nationally. So um, I'm helping to just, you know, they're doing constant quality improvement work. Um, I'm working with teammates, you know, in different places. So um, uh, mostly stuff right now centered with that program. Mm-hmm. Um I have a couple ideas of writings to do possibly, uh, but none of them are completely solidified. Um, I am talking to Amy Wheeler and Stephen Porges about doing a, a course on polyvagal theory uh, nice. with Amy and, and with, you know, polyvagal theory and yoga with Amy and Stephen. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That'd yeah. be juicy. That'd yeah. be really juicy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness, you know, we're big and now fans. that I said now that now that I said it here, I have to. I know exactly. <laughs> we're going to hold you to it. That's right. We will. Oh, well, we're we're big fans. And I know a lot of the folks that listen to our podcast are big fans as well, all over the place, the U.S. and Australia and Europe, everywhere. Um, and so we just really want to thank you for the work you're doing in the world and for your willingness to kind of come on and share, you know, your thoughts and your, what you're learning and what you're teaching so generously. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks. It's been great to talk to y'all and to get to know you more. And um, thanks for inviting me on. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we are back. Hello, Lucy. How are you? I'm great, Shara. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Happy to be back with you. It's been a couple of days since our conversation with Marlisa, and we've had a little time to um, maybe just to think a little bit about her, to integrate it, to let it all sink in. And so it's always fun to regroup and to have these little conversations afterward to share 
what's been happening. And so the question that's coming up for me is what, how did this conversation, conversation leave you? Where, what did it sort of bring up for you? Well, it's interesting. It's kind of uh, how I felt immediately afterwards. And then um, I've actually had an opportunity to listen to it. And um, how I felt afterwards has been amplified having now listened to it, um, meaning that there are a few things I really wish I'd brought up with Marlisa um, yeah. to get her perspective and or I brought into the conversation. And so I thought maybe we could talk about those um, today. Yeah. And then yeah, maybe definitely. for you too. Yeah. yeah, let's do that because, yeah. you know, because we had a, you and I, before we even had this conversation with Marlisa, we did have a conversation about pain and about. Yeah, pretty extensive. I have a, yeah. a long-term relationship with uh, both acute and chronic pain. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was really interesting to get some of your insights about that. Yeah, thank you. Um there was just a lot more I wish I'd spoken about, which I, I might come yeah. to in a moment, but I did want to bring up um, the, I found it very interesting with Marlisa when we talked about sort of looking at pain from a yogic um, perspective and what the mm -hmm. texts say and all that sort of thing, mm -hmm. um, that she mainly talked about the gunas and then also, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is spoken about in the Bhagavad Gita and then um, referenced some other texts. But she didn't talk about the Panchamaya model. And yeah. I really meant to bring that up and ask her about that because I must say for myself and also with my clients, I very much um, work with that model to help myself in my own sort of um, uh, supporting my journey through it, but also guiding my clients to have them understand, for example, as you brought up with Mukunda Styles, that the, you know, what's happening in the emotional body can affect the physical body and yeah. vice versa and so forth. Yeah. And Yes, yeah, so I'm wondering, do you, do you do that at all in your Ayurveda work? Do you cross that over? That's, that's interesting because I think the, the Panchamaya model is obviously a, is a, a model um, within, you know, yogic philosophy that for the most part applies to everything. Personally, in terms of my own work, there is a, there is a, a view into the Koshamaya model within Ayurveda, but I don't actually, I don't necessarily use it it's kind of a it's kind of a foundational um it's a, it's a set of foundational principles that I think about but that I don't sort of practically put into um yeah I don't practically oh, put into into the work that I do although it's so funny because I'm just about to do something with the Panchamaya <laughs> the Panchamaya model not necessarily relating to pain but but um, yeah, up until now, it hasn't been something that I've used extensively, but it's one of those things that's sort of been in the background. Right, right. I, I just find with using it explicitly as in, yeah. as in describing the model drawing, you know, um, yeah. uh, et cetera, there's a lot of people I work with who just haven't really appreciated that about, them, yeah. about yeah. themselves. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of helpful for them. Like people who are not, yoga, you know, haven't got an experience in yoga and haven't studied for very long or whatever. So um, yeah. anyway, I, I, I wish. I think it would have, sorry, <laughs> sorry to talk over you. I'm like, ah, I know. I think it would have been really interesting to dive into that in the context of pain. You know, mm. when we think about all these different levels of our beings, I mean, I think one of the things that I wanted to kind of touch on in the conversation with Marlisa, which we kind of did, was this, uh, this sense that yoga therapists have this very holistic view of the person. 
and this very holistic view of the potential within a particular person, depending upon who they are and many, many other things for their experience of pain, the potentials around that. And I feel like the Panchamaya model is a beautiful, um, it, it's, it's a beautiful kind of inner look at, inner holistic look at all of the different ways that we can experience pain. And so, um, and anything, all the different ways that we can experience and process, integrate life. And so, yeah, I kind of wish we, <laughs> I kind of wish you had brought that up too, because it would have been really- We'll have to get it back. <laughs> it would have been really good to kind of dive into that a little bit more and to, um, to get a sense for her, you know, somebody who's had a lot of experience with folks who are working with chronic pain. She's, you know, she's a PT and she's written this fabulous book, as we mentioned on yoga therapy to kind of get, give some insights about that. Mm, mm. As I said too, I think it really, um, it's helpful for me to, as I said, I've had kind of a long-term relationship with various um, chronic health conditions that create pain sensation for me in my body um, and also cause acute pain at times. And, you know, I've really um, done a a lot of searching and um, Mm. trying to understand and, and to work with it all over the years. And, you know, what you brought up about Mukunda Styles and, and mm. um, the, you know, the teaching that you received in your training yeah. is very consistent with work I was uh, came to in around 2011 with, um, by John Sarno. Uh-huh. And um, John Sarno, I, I highly recommend anybody who's dealing with pain to look up his work. He's now passed, but his, um, you know, his legacy is phenomenal. And he wrote a series of books that interestingly started off very much sort of on the outer edge of the medical model. And by the end of his, his final book, The Divided Mind, when I read it, I thought I was reading a yogic text. Right. You know, he, he really um, came out of the, the Western medical model mindset and yeah. right across to um, using the word mind-body as one word. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he has a, a, a very uh, detailed way, which I, I can't go into now, to explain yeah, why sure. you experience pain that um, is caused by emotional distress and other things as well. Mm. Um, And then more recently, I've come across the work of a guy called Alan Gordon in a book called The Way Out. And And he talks about chronic pain often being caused by something called neuroplastic pain. Mm-hmm. And um, so neuroplastic pain is, I mean, all of these pain are real, so it's not suggesting they're not real, yeah. but it's um, a little bit what Marilisa um, referenced. Um, it occurs when for all sorts of reasons, your mm-hmm. body is in a state of hypervigilance. And mm-hmm. so you are much more sensitive to anything um, to create pain. And yeah. I've applied this thinking now to the conditions I have that cause chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And I'll often um, sort of have a conversation with my body um, when, so for example, I've had a lot of issues with my knees over the years. I've got quite bad um, uh, uh osteoarthritis in my knees and there was a period for a couple of years where I couldn't I could barely get up off a chair let alone you know getting up and down off the floor was very challenging and so forth and I did a ton of physiotherapy work uh, funnily enough mainly that's what brought me out of it Um, but what supported me um, kind of emotionally through that was all my yoga practices. Mm. And um, so now I I get pain in my knees 
And when that happens, I have a, as I said, I have a conversation with my niece and I say, is this real pain or is this neuro, I'm like, has, is it, are you in danger or is this neuroplastic pain? And mm. invariably, as soon as I've had that conversation, the pain disappears. It's mm. quite remarkable. It's quite yeah, remarkable. It but, but it's taken a while to get there. You know, yeah. I, my body. Mm. To, as soon as I hear you say that, uh, and thank you for sharing all of that too. I, I'm hoping that that will, um, that our listeners and will gain a lot just from check out these resources that Lisa's mentioning. Cause I've had a look at some of them as well, based on the conversation that we had pr- before our discussion with Marlisa and um, really interesting stuff. But hearing you say that also, again, just to bring it back to yoga makes me, you know, brings me straight back to the, the yogic teachings and the yogic philosophy about the mind and the part that the mind plays in our experience of reality. Uh, and it's, you know, one of the questions that I had wanted to kind of, because uh, I kind of like to wax lyrical a little and get, you know, dive into sort of the, some of these philosophical aspects of things. Really? Uh, I've never one noticed. Of the, <laughs> one of the questions that I'd wanted to, to ask, uh, but that I didn't, and we just ran out of time really, um, was about, you know, Marlisa's thinking around how our relationship an understanding of consciousness impacts our relationship to pain or how our, um, you know, to me that sort of speaks very much to some of the questions that I'm exploring around consciousness and some of the, the, the things that I even teach really about who we are. And um, it's not an easy question to answer, but it's more about, it's more just something to think about really. Um, when we're engaged in our practices and, you know, in, I suppose, in our explorations into what yoga is really all about. Yeah. Well, I I would say that um, I've been very supported by my journey into understanding non-dualism and Mm -hmm. that for me has come through the teachings of Richard Miller and other IRS teachers and the practices and and regular practices. And uh, when I think of myself as not separate, when I think of myself as I am not my body, I'm not my emotions, I'm not my pain, I'm not Mm -hmm. any of these things, I am you know, my sort of um, hip pocket way of thinking of consciousness is, you know, I am a drop in the ocean and I am the ocean. Um, mm. and, and when I can come into that felt sense state, the pain dissipates, yeah. you know, or that process takes me away from the pain that's arising. And so the, the pain that's arisen then falls away. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, a, it's very beneficial to go mm. down that route if you're somebody who has chronic pain conditions. Very, very yeah. beneficial. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you, Lucy. I know when we first decided to have this conversation with Marlisa uh, and she mentioned, you know, and we just, and we knew that we were going to be talking a little bit about pain. Personally, my experiences with pain are, are very limited. I haven't had a lot of pain in my life. I'm very grateful for that. But having these conversations with you around your experience um, has made me even more grateful because you've got such a, um, a rich <laughs> and deep uh, history with pain 
that I feel like your perspectives on all of this have been um, not only useful for me personally, but also um, really useful for the folks listening to this podcast. So I really want to thank you for um, being willing to kind of share what you've learned and share your experiences, because I think we learn so much from each other. Yeah, well, well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I mm. I would like to say it's a pleasure, but of course I'd rather <laughs> not. It's really a pain. pain. <laughs> it's really a pain. Uh, but but you know what, Shara? It's why um, you know it, the group classes that I teach are always yeah. gentle yoga for healing. You know, yeah. it's always you know we teach what we know and and um, and you know what I've been uh, really called to. I think it's been my dharma to you know, every time a new condition arises in my body. And it's, it is a little bit like that, by the way, (laughs) my knees get better. And then, uh, you know, now my shoulders are risen. I'm actually going to be going through a shoulder replacement surgery in the next few weeks. Mm. Um, You know, if it's not one thing, it's another is my conversation with my physiotherapist. Um, But uh, yeah, it is, there's so much to be learned and it's, you know, it's a great teacher, you know, it really is. And it's ironic to sort of say I am grateful in lots of ways for it because I'm not sure I would be so deeply in my yogic path and my yogic studies and exploration and um and practices if I didn't have so many pain conditions you know I wonder you know I really wonder yeah Mm. um so it's definitely a way to be you know it's what's that quote about you know yoga is um the practice of learning to be who you are sorry be yeah who you are or as in you know all our challenges all our foibles or I'm not being very articulate (laughs) with that it's this wonderful quote it's on the walls at Kripalu I say when I studied there I saw it all the time I'll find it and put it Uh, in the show notes yeah thank you thank you um the reality of who you are yeah you know the other funny thing you know how um you know when you're you're thinking on a topic things you know past your view or things come up in your feed and whatever um i'm uh, i like the waking up meditation um, app quite a lot and yesterday the daily sort of reflection was about the fact that everything that arises will always fall away yeah and which is the buddhist teaching and mm. and and that is you know certainly when i'm in acute pain so an example of acute pain that i experience um, from time to time is a really bad migraine. So what I call yeah. an axe in the head migraine. And mm-hmm. um, and I when, I when I'm with that, I mean, you know, there's a number of practices that I use, again, predominantly learned through my IRS studies and practices. Yeah. Um, but I'm always saying to myself, um, this too shall pass because mm-hmm. it will. You know, it's the, it's the nature of, um, of life. It's the nature yeah. of being. Mm. And from a yogic, and yogic perspective, that's the dance of the gunas too. It's absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very much is. Yeah. So it's very, you know, it's a very universal uh, teaching. It's a very universal understanding for us as human beings. Well, it's not, it's not uh, and it's not rocket science or anything particularly deep and philosophical, and yet yeah. it's so true, you know, yeah. and it's, and it, what supports me, you know, oftentimes in these, as I said, these more periods of more acute pain. Mm. Yeah. Well, this so. conversation has not been a pain. <laughs> it has been an absolute delight. 
Thank and you. I, you know, I'm, I, we may just have to get Marlisa back, you know, just to, to ask yeah. some of these questions. She seemed really keen and, and, uh, and, and lovely and generous to talk to. So it might yeah. be fun to, to get her back on and ask some of these questions. Yeah. And really do, I do recommend everybody get her book. It's a terrific yes. book. It's beautifully written, really easy to read, which yep. I love. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that <laughs> would be awesome. It's got those photos in the back of Sephora. <laughs> Sephora, that's right. <laughs> that's pretty uh, funny. All right, all right, Lucy. Well, let's leave it here. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for your time. And I look forward to the next conversation, my friend. Great to chat. Take care. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.